and welcome to the ADHD Manual Podcast. My name is Abby Miner. I'm a marriage and family therapist, an ADHD-certified clinical services provider, and a proud ADHDer. This is a podcast for people with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder and those who love us, which covers pretty much everybody. Growing up with a colorful brain in a black and white world can make us feel like aliens. The manual we've been given to guide us through life doesn't have any diagrams of the parts we've been given. I've decided to stop throwing away my parts and start throwing away this useless manual to write my own. So kick off your shoes, have a seat, and take a break from fitting yourself into a mold that's not your shape. You belong here. Allies, welcome to the ADHD planet. ADHDers, welcome home. Hello, all my dear friends. I hope you are doing well out there in quarantine land. If you're still quarantining, which I am, which is probably why I sound a little loopy. But we do what we gotta do. It's important. Okay. Today is a very big day. Uh, Today we're talking about rejection sensitive dysphoria. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. Can't wait. So. I include this in every overview of ADHD that I do because it seems to make a humongous impact on people's understanding of their diagnoses and their lives. Um, At least I know it did for me. My article about uh, rejection-sensitive dysphoria, or RSD, um, as I'll be calling it, on my uh, ADHD manual website has gotten more than 70,000 views. Um, since I posted it, and I don't remember when I posted it, maybe a year ago? More than a year? I don't know. And you might be thinking, well, Abby, that's because you're an amazing writer, and it's just a really good article, and people just love your website. No. Let me explain. I mean, I am a good writer. I did major in English in college. However, All of my articles are well-written, and this one seems to get the most attention. So what that tells me is that this topic just really seems to strike a chord with people. So that's why I always make a point to talk about it, um, or at least start talking about it, because it is a very big topic. Um, It is something that will repeatedly come up uh, in our future conversations about ADHD and how it impacts people. And it's very complex. There's a lot about this uh, that we don't know. And it might look different to everyone. I think it affects everyone a little bit differently um, by person or over the course of their lives. I think it pops up in different ways. So this is the beginning of a much larger conversation. We're not going to get to everything today, but we will talk a little bit about what is it, um a couple like theories about where it comes from and the nature of RSD and some of the ways it might pop up for us in our daily lives and a little bit about how to deal with it. So we have a lot to talk about. So let's get started. Woohoo! So what even is rejection sensitive dysphoria? Well, 
basically, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's sensitivity and reactivity to rejection, criticism, or perceived rejection and criticism. Dysphoria actually just means unbearable in Greek. And almost 100% of ADHDers report that they have always been more sensitive than others to rejection or the feeling of being rejected or criticized. Maybe this looks like social rejection, like feeling left out of a group or interpreting a friend's neutral text as upset or angry. Maybe it looks like an overpowering reaction to the sense that you have failed or messed up. Or maybe it looks like a defensive or retaliatory response to a comment of criticism or correction. The feeling is almost impossible to describe, except that it's practically a physical pain. It's like every single atom inside you is splitting at once, like a billion nuclear fissions are exploding. I read someone's uh, blog post once comparing RSD to an emotional sunburn, which I love and I use a lot. Um, so it's like you're walking around with this achy sensitivity and when a rejection or a criticism comes near you or scratches you directly, your body ignites in flames. It's kind of like that. There isn't really a clear answer to the question of what causes RSD and why do so many ADHDers experience it? Similar to sensory processing disorder, uh, which we talked about last time, uh, theories are pretty mixed on whether RSD is a separate condition that often accompanies ADHD, um, or if the two are intrinsically connected, or uh, if it's possible to have one without the other even. Um, for one, it's not a listed disorder in the DSM, but there are plenty of real conditions and symptoms missing from the DSM. And we do know that at least some sort of rejection sensitivity uh, might pop up in other disorders, um, like autism, um, maybe some depression um, or personality disorders um, or complex trauma. So it's pretty nebulous and RSD is a relatively recent exploration um, in terms of how it connects with ADHD, at least compared with other ADHD symptoms. And of course, as we've discussed before, complex emotional experiences are difficult to quantify, define, and research. So there's a lot we don't know. Some theorize that RSD is just part of the ADHD package deal in the sense that you're born with it, uh, while others attribute it more to the increased rejection and criticism that ADHDers actually do experience. After all, by age 12, it's estimated that kids with ADHD have received something like 20,000 more negative comments than their neurotypical peers. So it's safe to assume that that takes a pretty big toll. But either way, personally, I find it most useful to view RSD as a big component of ADHD uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, for one, I see pretty unique characteristics of rejection sensitivity in people with ADHD as opposed to other disorders. For example, there may be some increased sensitivity to social rejection in a disorder like social anxiety. But this typically is worse in anticipation of a social event, 
and it improves when someone is actually at the event or is around people that they're close to and comfortable with. For an ADHDer with RSD, however, the sensitivity to or fear of rejection does not go away when they're with loved ones, for one. Uh, Some say they're even more sensitive to rejection in those relationships. After all, the more vulnerability you share with someone, the greater the risk they will reject you, right? And generally, I think over time, you know, some fear um, or anxiety in anticipation of an event that you might be rejected or criticized might be natural to build up over time. But in general, RSD is a reaction um, to the experience rather than like the anxiety associated with the anticipation of something. Truthfully, there's a lot about RSD we don't know, like I said, and we don't really know what causes it. Um, But for right now, what's important to know is that the experience is something that so many of us with ADHD struggle with that I think it's essential to go over no matter what. Generally, ADHDers reactions to rejection tend to fall in one of two categories. So we might externalize. This could look like a short temper or fiery disproportionate outbursts uh, towards the source of the rejection or the criticism when combined with the strong reaction to rejection plus uh, a kind of lower response inhibition, it might turn into violence. Um, And something interesting is that about 50% of people in court-mandated anger management have previously undiagnosed ADHD. So, um, so this is pretty common. On the other hand, we might internalize our reactions. So this could look like sudden bouts of depression, withdrawal, um, even suicidality. This is another reason ADHD gets misdiagnosed as bipolar disorder, like we talked about last time. An RSD reaction might look like a bipolar mood swing. But, like we talked about last time, RSD's intensity comes and goes relatively quickly, um, even if the effects might linger, whereas bipolar episodes uh, come gradually and stick around. So, what kind of impact does rejection sensitivity have on us long term? How does it affect us and the formation of our personalities? When you live your whole life trying to protect yourself from rejection and criticism and failure, you might develop a sort of sixth sense of feeling out other people, like what they like, what they want, how to make them happy with you. Uh, So you might be a people pleaser. Maybe you've always had a knack for caretaking or meeting people's needs. And maybe it's hard for you to tell even what your own wants and goals are because you're wrapped up in tracking other people's. Or maybe it hurts to say no and set boundaries uh, due to the fear of disappointing or angering others. Or maybe you're listening to all that and thinking, I am the complete opposite. The slightest threat of rejection or failure and I shut down. I don't try anything that I won't be immediately great at. I don't like meeting new people or trying to please them. That's too risky. I hear you. I wish I had a dollar for all the activities I quit because I could not stand looking stupid or making mistakes. 
like piano and guitar and painting and science. My parents basically had to force me to get my driver's license since I was so terrified of failing. I've cut off relationships because I didn't feel good enough or a small comment or incident hurt me too much. One reason I put off assignments till the deadline is to protect myself. Even if I started in advance, I knew I could never get to a place where I felt like my work was good enough to stop. If I procrastinated, I could always attribute any mistakes to my constricted time rather than my intrinsic flaws. Either way, the impact of how powerful RSD can be for an ADHDer really takes a toll on who we become and how we learn to protect ourselves. So what do we do with this information? How can we treat rejection-sensitive dysphoria? Well, with that, it's kind of a good news, bad news situation. The bad news is there isn't really a treatment for RSD. Um, because of the big physiological component in RSD, there are some alpha agonist medications that might help. Uh, so it might be something to explore with your doctor. Talk therapy isn't very effective at like uh, preventing RSD or um, reducing rejection sensitivity before it happens. Um, and the reason for this is because RSD triggers the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis or HPA axis, um, which activates our stress response. Uh, so we go into fight or flight and in survival mode, our prefrontal cortex shuts down. We can't make judgment calls or use critical thinking, so you can't reason your way out of an overpowering feeling. These reactions happen so fast that any skills you would learn in therapy, you essentially wouldn't have time to apply them before an RSD reaction happens. That being said, um, I do think that there are some therapy treatments that can help cope with it. Uh, for example, there are some elements of dialectical behavior therapy or DBT um, that might help with things like this. For example, DBT has techniques that emphasize mindfulness um, and kind of trying to live in the gray area between perfect and terrible. Um, so it kind of helps to stretch the mind and make a little more room for some realities that are between everything's fine and perfect and everything's terrible, I'm the worst person and everything sucks. And in addition to that, um, I know the one thing that has helped me um, is when I'm in an RSD episode, um, it's very easy for me to catastrophize and kind of make... Um, go to the immediate worst case scenario, right? So it sounds strange, but what has helped me a little bit is letting myself go there. Like letting myself go to the worst case scenario and then saying, so what? <laughs> now what? You know? Say it is true that because my friend didn't respond to my text message, they hate me and they don't want anything to do with me anymore. Okay. Let's entertain that for a second. If it's true, that sucks, 
but will I die? No. And it helps to remind myself in those moments that I have survived far worse. (laughs) Um, It definitely doesn't help the sensation, especially like physically, like it feels horrible. Um, But it does help me recover um, and kind of return to reality in a sense. I do also wonder if maybe um, some treatments meant for trauma might also help treat RSD and ADHD. Um, I think the connection between PTSD and ADHD is really fascinating and complex, and it's something that personally I am looking into more and I'm very curious about. Um, And I can't really speak to knowing what kind of research um, the rest of the medical community is doing about this um, that maybe I just haven't found yet, but I do think that there is a lot we don't know about both of those conditions, for one, and how they intersect, because I see them pop up together a lot. And even in a lot of ways, they can affect similar areas of the brain, like the prefrontal cortex, um, and you'll see overlapping symptoms of, you know, uh, inattention, difficulty focusing, um, emotional regulation. So there is a lot of intersection between those two things. Um, And we have spoken a little bit about how there's some debate about if RSD is intrinsically a part of ADHD that you're born with, um, that might go along with the other emotional uh, hyperarousal and sensitivity that we also experience. Or if it's more due to essentially the trauma of living with ADHD in a neurotypical world. You know, that that stat that I mentioned about 20,000 more negative comments by age 12. Um, So I think there's definitely a lot to be said about how much more adversity people with ADHD experience. And that could lend itself to this. However, I do think that... There, there must be at least a little bit of RSD or at least heightened um, emotional sensitivity in that way. I do think there's a lot of that that's inherent in ADHD. And the reason for that is, for one, I see it in very young children a lot. Um, I've seen it come up, you know, early, too early for uh, a trauma to have really made that kind of impact. Um So I do think that there's something there. Um, However, I I think that I've also seen a lot of people who have... I'm struggling to figure out how to word this because I don't want to say that people with PTSD have been traumatized because of any sensitivity that they may have. And I don't want to take away responsibility from... Um, whoever or whatever uh, caused their trauma and hurt them. You know, I don't want to place the responsibility and the blame on the wrong party. However, I do really wonder if perhaps there is something to be said about due to RSD, some events might be traumatic for us that might not be traumatic to others. We know that PTSD isn't 
just a given whenever someone goes through a traumatic event. Some people will um, experience and develop PTSD and some people won't, even if they go through the same experience. So we know that there is some element of maybe biology or history that goes into determining how the aftermath of a traumatic event or experience ripples throughout someone's life. So I wonder if there is something to be said about RSD um, maybe causing traumas or worsening traumas um, because of our heightened sensitivity. Anyway, it's a big topic that we will definitely revisit um, and I hope to revisit as I learn more about it. But I wonder if maybe uh, some trauma treatment might be useful for RSD for this reason. Perhaps maybe um, an event could have happened in someone's life um, that had they not had a heightened sensitivity to rejection already, maybe this event wouldn't have been as traumatic or as impactful. So maybe there is something to be said for some trauma treatment being effective in processing past RSD episodes or impacts. So it's just something that we can um, look into more or you can look into more with your therapist or um, health professional and might be something to explore. But overall, the front line of treatment for RSD is education. Many people find it healing just to have a name for what others called dramatic or thin-skinned or testy. Like most parts of an ADHD diagnosis, especially as an adult, learning more about your rejection-sensitive dysphoria can elicit very complex emotions. It's a relief to know this isn't because of anything you did wrong and you have a reason for why you've always felt so sensitive. And at the same time, there's a grief that comes with viewing yourself through a different lens. Like, what might my life have looked like if my fear of failure didn't limit my options? How would my self-perception be different if I had known 20 years ago that I'm not imagining it? It actually does hurt me more when I don't get chosen for a role I auditioned for in a play. Would I be more patient and compassionate with myself? Would I see myself as strong and resilient and brave instead of weak and pathetic and dramatic? It makes sense to feel loss when you gain understanding that you didn't have in the times it mattered the most. And it's okay to have moments when naming a sensation as RSD helps, and there's moments when it just hurts. There are a lot of theories on rejection-sensitive dysphoria, where it comes from, what it's called, who it strikes, and why, and ADHDers I feel like I say this all the time, and it's part of my standard advice for people with ADHD especially, but also anyone uh, with their mental health, is I encourage you to take what you need and leave what you don't. There's a lot out there. There are a lot of ideas and experiences of people 
um, who are studying RSD, who have opinions on it, and who have lived with it. And it can be really muddling. There's, at the same time, so much uh, information and thoughts on RSD and also not enough. So it can be very confusing and I encourage you to just take what sticks with you and then leave what doesn't. It's not important for you to know the answer to all these questions always. What is, I think, important for you to take away, at least for today, is that this is a real thing. You're not making it up. You are braver and more loved than you feel sometimes. And you're not alone. This affects such a huge percentage of us that we can't all be making it up, right? So I hope you take some comfort in that. I think it can also be helpful for people with loved ones with ADHD uh, to have an understanding of RSD, um, just to have kind of some backstory to where their loved one's strong reaction may be coming from. Not to say that RSD excuses any kind of violence or, um, or being hurtful. It's, it's not to say that it's, it lets you off responsibility for any kind of bad behavior. It's more of a sense of, it might help to know what's fueling this fire, right? And the imagery of an iceberg is used a lot to describe ADHD. Like there's a lot um, poking up out of the water that is only what we can see, right? And there's a whole lot more of the iceberg below the surface. Like that comes up a lot. And when it comes to RSD, um, sometimes, especially people without ADHD or, or even some people with ADHD, um, you know, example for when, when you have two people with ADHD who both, um, have rejection sensitive dysphoria, I mean, that can be really tough to navigate, you know, if one person's response to rejection triggers another person's response to rejection, like that can get really muddy. So in, in cases when RSD, you know, causes a real, um, conflict or harm, it can sometimes be helpful to know that that's just the tip of the iceberg. And in a way, it's kind of like you're just walking in to the end of an argument, you know, like how sometimes, sometimes if you're having a conflict with, um, someone who's close to you and they get a really strong reaction out of nowhere, something just really triggers them, it can seem like they were having their own fight, right? And you just came into the end of it. Like you didn't see all the escalation and everything that went into building this up, building this fire, right? And with RSD, I think that's really true. Like a lot of the sensitivity and the, um, you know, the, the kindling and uh, the iceberg is really below the surface that we can't see. And so we only see the iceberg of uh, a strong reaction or a really hurt person. So I do think it might be helpful for neurotypical people to keep that in mind when in a conflict of some sort with someone they love with ADHD. On the flip side, I think what 
someone with ADHD can do in this situation in a conflict um, with a loved one and maybe in a way what we have a responsibility to do uh, is fact check. That can really, it can really help. It will be hard for your body to believe it, believe the answer to your uh, clarifying questions, but it does help to get some more information. So for example, if my friend doesn't text me back in a day or so, I might ask, hey, is everything okay? I'm worried you haven't responded. Are you mad at me? Are you upset with me? Did I say something wrong? So I might say something like that. Or if you're feeling particularly brave, you might even say, hi, I'm just feeling really insecure because you haven't answered. And I could really use some reassurance or clarification that either you still like me (laughs) and you still want to be my friend or I would love to know what went awry if something did. So that might be something good that you can do. So ADHDers, I challenge you to ask those questions. Um, I think that's one thing that might really help. And the neurotypicals who love us, I encourage you to do the same thing. Maybe ask some clarifying questions yourself. Do you feel rejected right now? Are you perhaps feeling like I'm criticizing you? Are you feeling left out or hurt? Um, so that might be good to have some context. Like bring, try to bring in this knowledge of RSD and the impact it can have on ADHDers and try to use that to heal relationships um, if that's your goal. If your goal is to heal the relationship, then I think having that knowledge and also putting it into action can be a really useful tool. I try to be really mindful of how I speak about ADHD um, and how I walk that line between seeing it as a disability, a disorder that makes life way harder um, and is a legitimate impairment that affects the way we move through the world and the line of you know maybe if the world were different this wouldn't be so impairing and maybe there are some gifts and benefits of having this kind of brain so i really try to walk between those two schools of thought because understandably people with adhd sometimes fall one way or the other and they feel very strongly um, or they're very hurt by the other school of thought, right? Someone who who really struggles with their ADHD, who views it as a really damaging impairment, um, as a disability, um, who's always had to work harder than other people, um, especially when it comes to ADHD because it's for some reason it really attracts a lot of doubters um it has a lot of misconceptions about adhd about what it is what it means um especially when you wrap up the pharmaceutical 
debates and controversies in that. Um, people have very strong opinions about it, and I think sometimes people have had a history of always having to prove that ADHD is a legitimate disability that they need accommodations and treatment and medication for, you know, and so from that perspective, it's really difficult to hear someone say, oh, ADHD is a gift, this is just a different brain, it's not a disability. It can be really hard to hear that, um, and it can feel very invalidating of your experience, of the fact that you don't experience it as a gift. And I think both sides of that are valid. And I think ADHD is a spectrum and I think it affects everyone differently and everyone has different ways of coping. Um, And it can be neither or both. So in these podcast episodes, I tried to paint a picture of how these different symptoms of ADHD can make our lives harder and um, the ways that it's legitimate and a disability, which some people may be needing, right? Some people might be needing validation that, yes, this is hard. Yes, I'm not crazy. Yes, this is real. And some people need that. And then I also really try to include a little bit of a perspective of how this could be viewed in a positive light because some people are needing that. Like some people are needing a break from always thinking that they're broken or disabled, right? Some people really need to see this in a different way. So when it comes to rejection-sensitive dysphoria, it can be really difficult to paint that in a positive light. And I think, I do think a lot of people don't see it positively um, if they do find that it's something that really affects them. Um, I think, I think we can maybe wrap this up with what we were talking about last time about emotional hyperarousal and how we're extremely sensitive to our environments and um, I do think that there is an element to you know valuing that strength right being able to feel at other people and um, and even if an RSD makes you a people pleaser for example I think um, I think that can be a real skill I mean, I think there are a lot of people in my field um, who serve as therapists that um, have really developed that skill as a something, as a coping skill to protect themselves, right? So it can be useful in some contexts. Another school of thought that some people like to consider is the um, the evolutionary purpose of um, sensitivity to rejection. Um, I mean, I think we can speak on that like as a whole. I mean, I think we can say that we care about others um, not liking us and not accepting us because I think historically, and maybe even a little bit now, being accepted and um, cared for and liked by Uh, a group of your peers is really essential for survival and of course we know that companionship and um, relationship is is really important for our well-being so I do think that there is a certain amount of um, like this heightened sensitivity to rejection maybe it does come from a um, an instinct to survive right maybe it could be coming from that I think either way what 
I really try to, um, basically my, my positive light when it comes to RSD is, is acknowledging all of the ways, all of the diverse ways that people with ADHD have developed and created to protect ourselves in ways that we didn't even know we were doing. I think there's a lot to be said for how creative and resourceful we are in that way. And I think it speaks a lot to the amount of hope that we can have for how we can heal. Um, Sometimes people see ADHD treatment as like this um, huge project, right? This huge um, tool of like scrapping everything that you've been doing and scrapping all these quote-unquote bad habits that you've made and replacing them with new ones, right? And like the good ones. And I don't think that's true. I don't think that's effective. I think it's important to remember and acknowledge the ways that you coped and the ways that you helped yourself without knowing that that's what you were doing. It's kind of amazing to think about our mind and our body's ability to survive without even consciously thinking about it. I think it's important to remember. And if your mind and your body can come up with these ways like like people-pleasing or like um, avoiding new activities, right? If your mind and body can come up with that like naturally just to protect itself from this really powerful, painful experience, imagine what you can do if you're conscious about it, if you know about it, and if you have more information and tools at your disposal you're unstoppable. You can do it. Your your brain and your body has kept you going this long and it can only get better. Why don't we put a pin in this conversation and pick it back up later? Um, there's still a lot to unpack with RSD and the conversation is not ending anytime soon. So I'm not entirely sure what I'm going to do for next episode. Um, I will perhaps be uh, revisiting some questions that I've received um, and return to more of a Q&A format. Um, so now would be a great time if you have questions um, or comments or topics that you want to hear more about or participate in a discussion about, now would be a great time to send me that. Um, So I really want to hear from you. I really want to know what you want more of. So give me a shout at the contact form on my website, theadhdmanual.com, or you can send me an email at theadhdmanual at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Please stay safe and stay healthy and stay inside if you can. And thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate all of you. 
that's all for this episode, but there is plenty more at my website, theadhdmanual.com. That's T-H-E-A-D-H-D-M-A-N-U-A-L.com. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Reddit at The ADHD Manual. Do you have a question, comment, or story? Then I want to hear it. Email me at theadhdmanual at gmail.com. Very special thank you to my brother, Joe Miner, for composing this theme music. And thank you so much for listening. And remember to be kind to yourself. See you next time.